Okay, we're going to deal with Daniel's 70 weeks. It's an interesting uh, piece of prophecy, but like I said, it's a piece of prophecy that I believe has been fulfilled. It's the cornerstone of dispensationalism, and there wouldn't probably be dispensationalism if it wasn't for Daniel 9 and the way that it's interpreted. So let's start by reading the passage that's in question here tonight, and uh, then we'll try to deal with an exposition of it. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, 24, sorry, 24. Okay, the 70 weeks. We'll just read it. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, so that's, that's really what this is about. That's like the heading to the next three verses right there. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who's to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood. And to the end, there shall be wars. Des I'm sorry, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to a sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay. Now, because we've been in the book of Revelation, Daniel's prophecy is using, uh, well, I should say Revelation is using terms and ideas that are found in the book of Revelation. Although, interestingly enough, you don't find Daniel's prophecy in Revelation. Yeah, there's, there's literally hundreds of scriptural allusions in the book of Revelation, and yet Daniel's prophecy is not one of them. Unless you want to count something like this, uh, three and a half years, uh, 1260 days, um, 42 months, okay. The Revelation uses that terminology all the time, talk about half of a seven. And we see that here, you know. But um, I don't believe it's the same thing. It's the same idea, though. The same ideas are being used. Now, when I was a young Bible college student, not that long ago, yeah, well, <laughs> relatively, relatively, you shouldn't laugh. <laughs> you know? No, I, you know, I, I was um, on the spur of the moment, given the pulpit. Uh, the little church I went to, um, and was a part of and trying to help them. Um, the pastor there was trying to mentor me, and one of the ways he thought he'd mentor me is um, tell me, you're preaching today. <laughs> didn't have a chance to study, didn't have a chance to do anything, just, you're preaching today. And, okay, and, and so I did, and um, I thought I'll preach on something I know. You know, that's always a good idea. And so I preached on Daniel's 70 weeks. The trouble is, I was a dispensationalist at the time. I knew the dispensational system backwards and forwards. 
and thought that um, I understood Daniel's 70 weeks very, very well. And so, you know, I was able to, to preach the message and feel pretty good about it and talk about how it was done. And then after the sermon and when everybody was gone, the pastor asked me if I had ever read Lenski before. I said, no, I've never read Lenski. I've heard of him, but um, I've never read him. And uh, he wanted to explain that um, Lenski, an excellent scholar, had a very different point of view of Daniel's 70 weeks than what I'd presented. And also pointed out that the numbers I had used, because I went with literal numbers and years and added it all up together, um, said, well, it just doesn't add up that way. And I wasn't very happy about that, you know. And I thought, well, I'll do some study, you know. I know I've heard this many times before. I know what it's about. I was taken aback, but I was convinced I was right. And um, I also knew that Linsky was a Lutheran. So that didn't give me a whole lot of hope either. <laughs> well, okay, he's a Lutheran, you know. So I wasn't convinced I was wrong, but it bothered me. I tried to work the numbers, um, paper, you know, figure it all out. Well, from this to this to this to this, you know. Well, you know, I've got a purpose here in my short three-week series. This will be three Sunday nights in a row, Lord willing, uh, to not bash dispensationalism. Don't want to do that. Many of our brothers and sisters are, that are dispensationalists are, are good, strong Christians. You know, so we need to remember that and we need to be careful. But I don't believe that they're right on their interpretation of this or really generally their interpretation of eschatology at all. And um, I, I see it as an in-house debate, but it's important enough that I think we need to talk about it. And the dispensationalism is, is certainly the, well, it's the most popular view amongst evangelicals today. Uh, the Left Behind series, seven books I think it is. Um, you've got um, almost all evangelical churches that you know about that believe the Bible have uh, dispensationalism in them if they don't overtly teach it. It's, it's not universal. There's, there's amillennials uh, in, in Baptist circles and such like that. But, you know, dispensationalism kind of rules the day and has been for over a century, you know. And, um, you know, most lost people know about rapture and antichrist and, and left behind and, you know, it's part of the culture even. So, uh, what do we say about that? And is this what Daniel 9 is talking about? And dispensationalism will condense all of the book of Revelation from chapter 4 to chapter 19 into a seven-year period. And the seven-year period that they get comes from their interpretation of, of Daniel's 70 weeks. So this is what we're talking about. Now tonight, if you're not real familiar with things, could be a little confusing. If it is confusing, I'm going to do my best to, to try to make it straightforward. But if it's confusing, um, then don't give up. Come next week and the week after. Because next week and the week after, I'm not going to talk about dispensationalism at all. I'm going to talk about the, the, what I believe is the proper interpretation of Daniel's 70 weeks. Today it'll be a little bit mixed, so you'll have to be listening closely or you'll misquote me and say that I said something that I meant was a dispensational thought instead of what I actually believe. 
So you have to listen closely. I'll try to make it easy for you to do that. Okay. Dispensationalism is built on the premise that God's true eye today is on physical Israel. And the church age that we're living in uh, is really a parenthesis. The church age that we live in cannot be found in the Old Testament. That, that's what they believe. It's not there. You know? and, and the illustration is usually used of two mountains. You've got a mountain here. That's the Old Testament saints. And you've got a mountain here, which is a seven-year tribulation. And in between those two mountains is a valley. And the Old Testament doesn't look into that valley. Any prophecy will be Old Testament or tribulation or millennium or, and all that. So, so here's the church down here, which some, most would admit was God's plan all along to have a church. Some would go so far as to say Jesus came to offer the church and, uh, I mean, offer the kingdom to the Jews. They rejected him. So he went to another plan, plan B, which was to start the church. I mean, God's going to go back to the ones that he really loves, which is the Jews. Now, it's hard to talk about this without so sounding anti-Semitic. And I think you know I am not anti-Semitic. I love the Jews and uh, pray for the salvation and, and ingathering of the Jews. And when we get to Romans 9, 10, and 11 in our morning exposition, I think that'll become very, very plain. And um, I think it all goes together very nicely in a, a package like that. But God has something better for the Jewish people than uh, a seven-year period of time in the future where they have a rebuilt temple and they're doing sacrifices and they've gone back to the Old Testament way of living and then it all falls apart really badly and the Lord Jesus Christ comes and rescues them and saves them. And then they realize that He really was the Messiah and they turn to Him. That's kind of the dispensational thought in a nutshell. That's kind of the way they look at it. And I do not believe that that is correct. Uh, but uh, we have every reason to pray for a great ingathering of the Jews uh, that the God will, will pour the gospel out on them as a people. But not just them. What would happen if God did that? They'd come into the church. They'd come into the church. They wouldn't be their own separate people. What would, we, what would we say in the book of Revelation? What was a very important... I'm, Rhetorical question. What was a very important number in the book of Revelation that came up more than a few times? 24. 24 was a very important number. Why? Old Testament. Okay. 12 tribes. New Testament. 12 apostles. Are they separate people of God? No, they're, they're together people of God. They're, they're, they're together. And so God's plan would be there for them to come to Christ and be part of the church. And when we get into Romans 11, we'll see that's exactly what Paul says. Okay, now back to the thoughts here. Uh, God has something better planned for the Jews than a rebuilt temple and sacrifices and, and all these sorts of things. And you'll hear about these things all the time and people are always coming um, into the, in, people are always coming into the you know uh, newspaper, they look in the newspaper and say, "Do you see what's going on? You know, do you see what's happening? Do you see what the, the Jews are doing? They're, they're talking about rebuilding the temple. They're talking about doing you know." Okay, well, 
Daniel, so many weeks, has been a cornerstone of dispensational theology, absolutely setting the timetable for a pre-tribulation rapture, which isn't mentioned in Daniel 9, but uh, that. And, um, you know, but uh, that's what I believe. So I'm talking about something that I believed very strongly and uh, held to for years and still find myself once in a while having problems falling back into a thought pattern like that. Just, it's ingrained so deeply, you know, uh, into myself and, and those that have studied that way. So, uh, we've, we've read the passage here, okay? We've seen, let's, let's take it bit by bit, go back to it again. We'll do a full exposition of this without any of that other dispensational talk when we do the entire chapter of Daniel 9. Okay, so we start here, 70 weeks, verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Uh, really not much controversy there, except what are the 70 weeks. We'll talk about that in just a second. A lot of controversy there. But 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, obviously the Jews in Jerusalem, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin. Was that done in the Old Testament, by the way? Did, did the Old Testament put an end to sin so that, uh, you know. No, the sacrifices every year, boom, every year, every year. What put away sin? the Lord Jesus Christ put away sin. So obviously that's what we're talking about here. So to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, same idea of what the Lord does, to bring in everlasting righteousness. So that's an interesting thing, thought. You know, that's what's happened though. What do we have in heaven today? The saints in heaven and the saints on earth and the kingdom of God is here, to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Okay, so there's, there's what's going to happen during this 70 weeks. Okay, that's what's going to happen during that time. Now, the next verse, know therefore and understand. Okay, so we've got, this is the whole big picture. Here's the little picture being put together. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So here's, there's three divisions we're going to see. Everybody agrees there's three divisions. I, I, if you're a Bible believer, you believe there's three divisions because the Bible, Daniel's vision sets itself that way. So here's seven weeks. And it even gives us a marker of when it's going to be. It's interesting that um, in the first part of this, of Daniel 9, as we'll see next week, uh, Daniel came to understand uh, that the captivity was going to be 70 years long. He's in the middle of the captivity. But he figures by, by God letting him know that uh, the captivity is going to be 70 years long, uh, exactly where he was in the midst of that captivity, I can't tell you, but he knows that from the start to the end is going to be 70 years. Of course, again, you have to figure out where to start. The first invasion, second invasion, third invasion, well, that's not really going to, to be a, a worry to us. You know, there's going to be a decree going forth. Um, the decree under Cyrus makes the most sense because that's the first one. Uh, that um, sets the stage 
for the Jews to be able to go back into Jerusalem, and that would be under uh, Cyrus gives the decree, they go back under Ezra, they go back under Zerubbabel, they go back under Nehemiah, and so all these things are taking place. And there's other decrees besides that, the decree of Cyrus, but that's the one that starts it all and allows them to go back, basically officially ending the captivity. Okay, so that's what we're talking about here. Okay, the first seven weeks. Then, the next verse, or really in part of the same verse, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, and now we've had seven weeks, now we've had 62 weeks, add it together, 69 weeks, right? Okay. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. And shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. It's pretty easy to see how that's confusing. Pretty easy to see how that's confusing. It's prophetic language. And um, the prophetic language is often confusing because it's symbolic. If we're trying to be literalists, uh, we're just not going to be able to get it. We'll come up with our own interpretation, read into the text, and figure it out there. So for 62 weeks, you know, uh, we, we see that there's no gap. There's no gap of time between the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. They follow each other. Okay, so really we could talk about 69 weeks and be correct. But, uh, you know, there's no gap between them except that there is something happening, you know. Um, the, the end of the captivity, the building of the temple, and then troublesome times in between for a period of time. And those troublesome times uh, we know about, too. We know about it from the Bible, and we know about it from history. Um, you know, we, we see, actually, in the 69th week, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who else could it be, you know? Um, so after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people who's of the prince will come, will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. We've actually jumped ahead into something, right? So we have Jesus Christ and his ministry, and we have the destruction of the temple that had been rebuilt. Okay, and all agree the anointed one is Jesus Christ. So in the 69th week, we see the death of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, prophecy is always better understood once it's been fulfilled, and here's where the problem comes in. We, and I've allowed ourselves to do it too, uh, just to try to, to um, you know, just show what can happen. We have come to a presupposition that the Bible doesn't tell us, okay? It's supposed, well, a week. Oh, okay, what's a week in the Bible? Okay, a week, you know, it's a week of years. So, that, that's what we're going into this presupposition with. Okay, so the, the week of years, you know, we're talking about uh, seven weeks, it's 49 years, 
and then we're talking about um, uh, 63 more weeks, which is 441 more years, and then we're talking about one more week, which is seven more years. Okay, so that's, that's the thought. And it's easy to see how you would think like that. It's easy to see, that's very literal. That's saying a week is a year, okay? You know, or, or one week, sorry. One week is seven years, because there's seven days in a year, a day is a year, and so it goes that way. Well, our dispensational friends do that. And like I said, they take the entirety of the book of Revelation and make that Daniel's 70th week. But there's a problem. <laughs> that's, that's a long time back. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ was a long time ago. Okay, And so here's the gap. You see, there's a gap. But again, the Bible doesn't talk about a gap. Doesn't say anything at all about a gap. So it has to be read into the text. Okay. So, you know, from the atoning death of Christ then, you have to skip to what has been almost 2,000 years of history so far to get to the last seven years of history. And the last seven years is called by our brothers, tribulation, divided in half, okay, 3.5, 3.5, 1260 days, 1260 days, Revelation talks like that too, you know. Um, but the supposition is the present age we live in is ignored, okay. So we can only learn about the church age from the New Testament because the Old Testament is completely silent regarding the church. And uh, you'll find that's the case about the only time, um, well, anyway, that, that's, that's the case there. There's a lot more I could say, but I'm gonna leave it there, okay. So instead, in this theory, God is returning to the Jews. The temple has been rebuilt in Israel, although they usually not always think the temple will be rebuilt in present day Israel. They often think the, the temple will be rebuilt before the, seven, uh, before the last seven years. Some of them say it has to be during that seven year period. So they have a rapture. They have sacrificial offerings that are resumed. There's an antichrist being the one who causes all of it to happen. Things go relatively nicely. I'm not trying to mock you, I'm not. Okay, I'm just trying to tell you what the system is. Okay, so the rapture happens and the world is obviously in chaos. Antichrist comes, fixes it all, makes everybody feel better about things, explains why this strange thing has happened. And for three and a half years, there's relative peace. At the three and a half year point, there's absolute murder, chaos, persecution. Everything goes crazy in the dispensational theory. Okay. And, um, you know, well, that's a lot of reading into the Bible. I think you'd be hard pressed to find all of that in the Bible. It's a system that's been developed is what it is. And there are no huge gaps, you know. Bible doesn't talk about a huge gap between 69 and 70. And a lot more we can say. But what did we find when we studied Revelation? That's what I wanna focus on tonight, okay. Just to remember some of the things we learned as we studied Revelation and this is going to help us here. Okay, so often and almost always in prophecy, numbers mean something. There's a lot of numbers in the Bible that don't mean anything. Okay, a lot of numbers in the Bible are just telling you what happened. 5,000, I was reading my devotion this morning, 4,000 people were, were fed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in the book of Mark. 
Okay, 4,000 people. What does that mean? I mean, 4,000 people plus probably women and children were fed by the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no prophetic symbolism there because he did it another time. 5,000 people were fed. 5,000 people were fed, and how much did you, uh, with five loaves, you know, and two fish? Okay, and then the 4,000, there were seven loaves. Is that important? I don't think that's necessarily important. That's how many loaves they had. And, uh, and then how many they collected up afterwards, how many baskets full they collected afterwards. So, so numbers are not always important. And if we think they are, we can really go astray. We've got to be very, very careful. But in prophecy, numbers usually do have some kind of relevance, or they wouldn't have been given to us. So we can't expect God in prophecy to, to give us um, uh, really minute by minute, word by day by day, or actually you know year by year even uh, predictions. God's not a fortune teller. Not, not the way he deals, okay? It's all ordained by him ahead of time. But prophecy is always given in somewhat veiled terms and best understood after it comes to pass. So God is not interested in, in, in tickling our fancy and, and uh, in taking care of um, what we think we need to know. He puts it in the scriptures. We have to dig and then afterwards we see that it's true. So right up front, I'll just tell you, I don't believe Daniel's 70 weeks has anything to do with what we would call prophecy. It was prophecy for them. It hadn't happened yet for them. For Daniel, he's looking into the future. But as we look at Daniel's 70 weeks, we're looking at the past. Okay? Because it already has been fulfilled. So here's, here's some points here. Number one. With all the Old Testament references in the book of Revelation, literally hundreds that we can find, Daniel 9, 27, or 24 through 27 is not referenced even one time, even though it is a major part of the dispensational system. Number two, nowhere are we told that in this vision given to Daniel that one week equals seven years. That's simply asserted. It kind of makes sense, but... I don't believe it's true. We have show another way that we can look at this, ways that we've seen before as we've studied prophecy, especially in Revelation. Uh, I do not believe that Daniel's, the weeks of Daniel correspond to years at all, because number one, it doesn't work chronologically. You just can't make it work. No one has been able to figure that out. And number two, it's not the way prophecy usually works. It's very true that all, for instance, all that predict the second coming. Somebody's figured out from the Bible when the second coming is going to happen. And they like to put it out into the future a ways so they can kind of keep, keep forecasting it for a while. And then the day comes and nothing happens. And the Bible wasn't wrong. Of course not. Uh, they were trying to find something in the Bible that isn't there. The Bible does not tell us when the Lord's going to return. It actually tells us that we don't know when the Lord is going to return. So we can say anybody that tells you a date or even a general time frame, they're wrong. They're wrong. It's just de facto wrong, you know. So, you know, they can't, you can't do that, you know. It doesn't work that way. Okay, 
So what are Daniel's weeks if they're not seven years? Okay, what does it mean then? Well, they're split into three parts, as we've said. And the first two parts undoubtedly go together. You just read the text, and how are you going to divide those? Well, you see something happening, but, you know, you just know, okay, here's the seven weeks, here's 62 more, and here's one more. That's the way it adds up. Okay, so how does it do that? The first seven weeks, I believe, equals a relative long time period. It's not a super long time period, but it's relatively long, you know. If it's going to work out to be something like 50 years or so, that's a pretty long time, okay. And that's from the time of the captivity officially ending with the decree of Cyrus to the first return to Jerusalem, to the building of the temple, to the repair of the wall, and to the first rebuilding and regathering of Israel under Cyrus's decree. Um, we see it in the book of Ezra, we see it in the book of Nehemiah, uh, we see it uh, that way. And, um, the, and, and so we have, you know, it, it takes a while. It just doesn't happen overnight. You know, there's delays that take place and like that, but that's the first thing that's happening is going back into the land they needed to be back into the land. Why? Because that's where Jesus was going to come. They needed to be back in the land. So now they're back in the land. But that doesn't mean everything's roses and happy. And, and In fact, it's not. It's perilous. The Bible tells us that the 62 weeks now, the 62 weeks take place, uh, it, it's perilous. It's difficult. There's trouble. There's, they're, they're under bondage again sometimes, but they stay in the land. And uh, you can go to Daniel chapter 2, and you can read that very famous very, very famous vision that's very, very clear about um, uh, the kingdoms to come, you know. And, and there's really no doubt about that either. That, that's very well understood. And uh, you can even see Alexander the Great there and the, the Greek, you know, conquest. And uh, a rabbi uh, supposedly, I don't know if it's apocryphal or if it actually happened, but supposedly a rabbi met Alexander the Great and told him, you're in the Bible and here's where it is, you know, and uh, showed the Greek. So if that's apocryphal or if that's true, I don't know. Uh, you can ask Brother Ken afterwards. He probably knows, okay. So at any rate, um, you know, it, it's definitely the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire, no doubt about it. And the Roman Empire is ruling Israel at that time, but they have some relative freedom, they do. So they didn't get taken out of the land again. They remain in the land. And so here's all this turbulence, all this war, all this difficulty, but they're in the land. The time of the Maccabees was a great time for Israel, you know. For a time they throw off bondage, and they are relatively free during the time of the Maccabees. It's not a real long time, but it's, it's one of their better times for sure. All this taking place in the 62 weeks with no gap from the first weeks, the first seven weeks we're talking about. What happens in week 70? Week 70 is, I believe, a very short time. We have a relative long time. We have a very long time. And now we have a relative short time. And this short time is the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's born, okay, he's born, He's raised up, he ministers, and 
He's crucified. He's cut off, you know. And, um, and it actually says that. An anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, okay. And so that's the prophecy that uh, the Messiah that we've been looking for is going to die. He's going to be cut off, which obviously means to die. Of course, he's going to rise, and he's going to usher in everlasting righteousness and all these sorts of things. But a prophecy doesn't always tell you everything that's going to happen. A prophecy is a bit of an outline. So we, we should look at it not as weeks or years like that. We should look at it as a long time, seven weeks, a very long time, 63 weeks, or 62 weeks, sorry, and then one week, short time. And this one short time is actually cut in half. Now, why is it cut in half? You know, 3.5, 3.5, literally 1,260 days, if we want to be literal, 1,260 days, if we want to be literal, I don't think we should. But what we're talking about is a time frame now of the Lord Jesus Christ and his ministry. And now he's cut off and gone. Of course, he rises again and everything. But we're talking about from a Jewish standpoint. Now what happens? Well, for approximately 40 years, they continue. And they're doing sacrifices in the temple. They're acting like the Lord Jesus Christ never came at all. They're acting like Messiah never came. Okay? For a generation, they act like Messiah never came. No, that doesn't say that there were no Jews. Say, of course there were Jews. The early church was basically a Jewish church. There were many converts. The Apostle Paul was a convert. All the apostles, except for Judas, were converts. Many, we read the book of Acts, we see many priests, even Pharisees, come to the Lord during that time and understand that he's the Messiah. But by and large, the nation does not. They reject him. A generation is given. Turn to Luke chapter 21. Jesus talks about this. Jesus lays it out very clearly what's going to happen. As you read through your Bible this year, you're going to notice, if you haven't already noticed, that uh, Christ more than once will say, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. And he's right. He's right. Yeah. I take, I'll take that literally. The people that he's talking to, you know, they're that generation not going to pass away. What's the generation? About 40 years, approximately. Okay. Verse 20, Luke 21, 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let none of those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance, to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth, wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What's Jesus saying? Well, if we had time, I'm not going to take the time tonight to do that, this, but we could go to Matthew 24. We could go to Mark 13. 
And we would see that what the Lord Jesus Christ is warning them about is something that we call 70 AD and the great destruction and the temple being just absolutely obliterated. The Roman army comes in, sparing none, unimaginable bloodshed like never has been. We were horrified to, to hear what Hamas did when they entered into uh, Israel and the slaughter and the viciousness and the ungodliness that, that they perpetrated. It was wrong. It's just plain wrong. Uh, kind of getting payback. A lot of payback, you know. But it was wrong what they did. It was foolish and stupid. Okay, it was just foolish. There's nothing you can say. You know, it was vicious, foolish, and stupid. Well, you know, they're getting paid back pretty good for what they did, you know. What if they never would have done that? Okay, <laughs> but that's beside the point here, okay. I'm just talking about the illustration. The Romans came in, utter, utter devastation with their anger and, um, you know, they're, they're you know, going to show these people who's in charge. And they decimate the temple, they defile it. 70 AD is considered to the Jews the most horrible time there ever has been. Worse than the Holocaust. Worse than the Holocaust. Because they lost everything. They lost their temple. They lost their sacrificial system. They lost their way of, of worshiping God. They had to create a whole new way of worshiping God that they still practice today which um, most of their practices, many of their practices are not found anywhere in the Bible. And the ones that are found in the Bible are the ones that aren't practiced. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It's just exactly what the Lord said was going to happen. Wipe it out. Why? Wipe it out. Wipe it out for something better. He rejected Messiah, but he's still Messiah. He's ruling and reigning. He's in the heavens. And you can come to him, and you can bow to him, and you can believe in him. And you'll be part of his eternal kingdom. A better kingdom, as the book of Hebrews tells us. A better kingdom on better promises and better access to God. The old is gone and the new has come. And ultimately, who is behind the destruction of the temple? God. God destroyed it. But a whole generation was given opportunity to repent and believe the gospel and accept Messiah before God just wiped it out. It was an impediment to their belief. Instead of being seen what it was, seen as a sign, seeing the symbolism, seeing that this was what Messiah was going to do, fulfill the sacrificial system and take it upon himself. Okay. Well, there's no impediment now, really. Judaism just another false religion, you know. Um, it just joins the ranks of Islam and, and um, you know, this, this kind of thing. And really, it's just another false religion. It's just a false way to God, you know. Even though Day of Atonement is nothing like the biblical Day of Atonement. And it can't be. They can't do it. Because they don't have the stuff that God required. He took it away so that they would repent and return to Messiah. And, and to this day, many do. A remnant does, at least. Okay. How big will that remnant be? We did, we, we'll wait till we get to Romans there. So anyway, look at Daniel's 70 weeks this way. 
a relative long time. A real long time. From the time they rebuilt the temple to the time that Jesus Christ is born is a long time. And boy, they had a temple by the time Jesus Christ was born. Herod had helped them build it. Herod! Herod had helped them build it. Well, how amazing is that if you think about it? A wicked man, a vile man, you know, actually built, helped them build this massive, you know, impressive building, you know. But that last week is split in two. The ministry of Messiah, and then a relative short time, the destruction of the temple and the Old Testament system that way, you know. It had done its job. The Old Testament system had done its job. It had brought in Messiah, just as God had promised. It had uh, really taken all of the symbols and all of the shadows and shined the light on it, all into the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was rejected. Rejected, by and large, by the nation. Okay, so a long time, a real long time, a relative short time, cut in half, the ministry of Christ, the destruction of the temple. Um, almost done. Just a couple more things. Daniel's vision that in here is built around seven, isn't it? It's built around seven. That, that's pretty easy to see. You know, seven, because a week, we think of seven instantly, and that's what it is, you know. And um, Revelation is built around seven in a figurative sense, too. Uh, you have uh, the macro part of Revelation which is seven cycles in the book, that you can see. So there's seven cycles in the book. And then there's the micro, the smaller parts where seven plays a part, like seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials. And three and a half is very important in Revelation 2 um, that we see. Um, at the, like I said, the 1260 days is the way it's put often. But we shouldn't take that literally nor should we take it literally here in Daniel, although it should be easier in some ways to see Daniel, even though the language is kind of difficult. We ought to be able to see the overall scope of what uh, the Lord is talking about and the fact that it's been fulfilled. So like I said, Daniel's 70 weeks has been a cornerstone of dispensationalism. It's the basis of God going back to Israel, forgetting uh, that uh, the book of Revelation talks about 24 and the uniting of the Old Testament and New Testament people, the uniting of Jew and Gentile together. Uh, the church is not intended to divide Jew and Gentile together. It's intended that the Jews would join the church and be believers and bow to Messiah, you know. A misinterpretation of Daniel, our passage, is the basis of wrongly dividing the people of God. Divides them in a wrong way, you know. And it hasn't held up to the dispensational time period. And 70 AD has been undervalued. 70 AD wasn't the end of the world. It wasn't, that's not what it was. To the Jew it was. It was the end of the Jewish system. And that's what 70 AD was. So. My premise is Daniel 70 weeks deals with what's already been fulfilled. It's eschatology in the same way the birth of Christ was eschatology to the Old Testament saints. I believe it ends in 70 AD. So it doesn't deal with things to come for us. It deals 
with things to come for Daniel and the Old Testament saints. And uh, so there you go. Next time what we'll do, we'll start at the beginning of Daniel chapter 9 and work our way through. And I think it'll even make more sense that way. And I won't be talking about dispensationalism anymore. Just be talking about what I believe is correct. Because I know that can be confusing. I do know that. So may the Lord help us. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll partake in communion together. Father, we know whenever we're dealing in prophecy, we're dealing in things that are difficult because of the symbolic language in which they're put. And we, especially we as Westerners, love to have everything lined out and outlined in an orderly fashion, chronologically correct right down to the month or the day if we can. This is the way we think. Our dates are very important to us. And as we look at history, we look at history through the prism of dates. But Lord, that's not always the way it's been for the people of God, you know. And so help us to, to think a little differently when we come to prophecy, whether it's been prophecy fulfilled or prophecy yet to be fulfilled. So help us towards that end, Father. And we know that at the end of the day, at the end of it all, uh, the glory goes to you and it's designed to glorify you. It's designed to help us live holy lives today. The, the prophecy that uh, doesn't help us live holy lives is really not doing what it ought to do if it's future prophecy still, causing us to look to Jesus and trust in Him and believe in Him and see the, the things, the, the spiritual things that are going on even right now in heaven and right now here on earth. And so, Father, help us as we come to these things and help us not to be arrogant or really, you know, just cantankerous but, Lord, we do want to know what your word says. So help us, we pray, and may Jesus Christ receive the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.